Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you like it is. And of course, today we have some uh, some analysis on all kinds of things that are coming up. But uh, let's get to the big big things first. And if you remember, we do this in three parts. We kind of cover general politics as the as it pertains to the Second Amendment. We also uh, cover you know a lot of gun culture things and then the third part is questions and answers and if you have any questions or comments you can always email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com that is kbmakel at aol.com or you can leave them at on the comments section of podbean where we have our which is the home for our podcast so let's get to the first things um I don't know about you, but I'm pretty confused about Biden's idiotic executive orders. I think this is just the fruition of things that we thought they were going to go after for a long time. They don't like the braces, okay? The braces on AR-15 or AK-style pistols, um, they see that as something that that uh, not only creates small effective weapons, but it creates something that basically makes the SBR um, small barrel rifle regulation that's been in place since 1934 obsolete. So they want to go after those. I don't think they're going to get very far. There's so many of those things out. These aren't like bump stocks where there was comparatively few of them. And even that's running in problems in the courts. The bump stock ban is running into problems and so will this. And, and the fact is, there are a lot of people who just simply won't comply. They'll just say it was legal, and, and they'll build it, and, and there are a lot of jurisdictions now that will not enforce on this. So the, the other thing, too, is an executive order is not a law. It's an executive order. It's guidance to federal um, entities, you know, departments and and uh, offices and all these other things. So it's it's not like somebody can come arrest you and say, you're in violation of an executive order. That's just not how that works. And unless there's implementing legislation, which gets passed by the Congress, signed by the president, and stands up in the courts, um, it's really not uh, really not going to have much effect. But it also shows the ignorance. It shows the true colors of the gun controllers. They want everything. They want to take everything from you. We've gone from a place where small guns were bad. They were Saturday night special. Small guns were bad. Guns like the Walther PPK are bad because they're too small. And then manufacturers had to figure out how to make them just a little bit larger or change them so that they were acceptable. Uh, We went from that to now big pistols are bad. Big pistols are bad because they're big. Even though big pistols were okay in the past. So they've done a complete flip around. And so we'll, we'll see how far this all gets. Um, you know, the ghost gun thing, that's going to be very, very hard because they're going to have to make everyone become an FFL or some something. I mean, they, they, they can't. It's going to be very, very difficult to explain why a person can't take some a lump of metal and make their own gun out of it. And just because that lump of metal is kind of shaped like an AR receiver, uh, it's going to be very difficult. And there'll there'll be people who still make them and sell them because it's just a lump of metal until it is completed and turned into a firearm. And there's also people who can turn out a lower on, uh, 
you know, 3D printing and get a lower that's good for, well, right now, I think most of them are good for about a thousand rounds or at least. So, you know, there is no easy way. There is no, what he wants to do is try to make so many things illegal and make some so difficult that people aren't going to do it. That, what what Biden is really missing the point. And, and I have to tell people, I'm sorry, the president, the vice president, and the speaker of the house are morons. Okay, they are, they are just morons. That's, that's what they are. The ghost guns, people who build their own ARs is such an infinitesimally tiny part of the overall gun culture. People who use braces are a small part. There's, it's not like every home has got one of these things over the mantelpiece. I mean, they, they don't. They they absolutely aren't that big. They aren't that useful in crime. They aren't that useful in a lot of places. Uh, frankly, I you couldn't give me an AR pistol, but that's just me. You know, I mean, I, I just, I don't really want any part of it, but I don't think any of that should be illegal. My position is, and this is where I had the uh, the problem with Mr. Ron Pinkass, and that's the uh, that's my pronunciation. Uh, I don't want to give them anything, uh, even though I have no use for bump stocks, and I think they're stupid. I don't think they should be illegal, even though I don't think those pistols are are really very pleasant to shoot or have a whole lot of use. Uh, I don't want to see them illegal. I'm not giving an inch to the gun controllers because they're the only ones with anything to gain you know our rights seem to get negotiated away and uh you know they're not giving anything in return um not that i think that getting something in return would be a great i, I don't want to compromise with them on any level but at least if butt stocks have to go i want sbrs off the nfa I want silencers off the NFA, but I'm not a negotiator like that. I don't. I don't want to give them a thing. Those things shouldn't be uh, on the NFA anyway. So, anyway, those are his executive orders. And another thing he said was, Second Amendment's not absolute. No amendment is absolute. Okay. Well, what about the amendment that prohibits slavery, Joe? I mean, he's the guy who's all fascinated about putting people back in chains or something, a few years ago. You know, he said some some nonsense like Republicans want to put you all back in chains. You know, um, maybe that's the way he thinks. Maybe he thinks that that nothing is absolute. I would say that the the amendments to the Constitution, the first ten, and then the subsequent ones like the Thirteenth Amendment, which outlaws slavery and, and other things, there is an they are definitely absolute in many many ways. Now, with the First Amendment, we've decided that you can't go into a crowded place, scream fire, and then people get stomped on the way out and induce panic and things like that. We've decided you can't do that. With the Second Amendment, we've decided that people in jail cannot buy a gun. You can't have a gun delivered to you in jail, legally buy it, and possess it inside the jail. You can't do that. Uh, you, If you are a felon, you cannot have a weapon. And, and people will debate, you know whether the de the debt to society has been paid and what is the uh, uh, restoration of rights, what are the criterion for that. However, I, I will say that we've decided that we've de we, certainly violent felons, everybody said, should not have people who, along with people who are adjudicated as mentally unstable, 
they should not have weapons either. So we've decided this as a society that there are certain small limits to certain constitutional uh, amendments. Okay. Um, however, however, those are exceptions and they are very small. For the most part, they are very absolute. I'll give you, though, something that is absolute. Hunter Biden is absolutely a crook. <laughs> you know, Hunter Biden is absolutely an influence peddler. I mean, if his name were Hunter Jones, nobody and his drug problem is so bad that he's he's huffing Parmesan cheese because he can't tell it from crack and <laughs> crack cocaine. Um, he's not going to get the big money he gets. So he is an influence peddler. And that is absolute. There's there's no there's no uh, give or there's no benefit of the doubt or anything else in that. So that's an that's one example of something that's absolute. But our rights are pretty much absolute. Pretty much absolute. There are some small exceptions, but not the exceptions that he that he thinks that he can push on the the Second Amendment. And, and the reason there they say that is because the first two amendments are really the ones under fire. I mean, when they're trying to regulate pronouns, when they're trying to regulate how you can say things, they're trying to regulate the First Amendment as much as they're trying to regulate the Second Amendment. They're not going after the other ones like this, but they eventually will. Eventually, their theory is that the Constitution really doesn't matter, that the Constitution is something that can change and its interpretation can whatever suits their their little um, ideas about how things are going to work and whatever suits their short-term gain is how they want to establish the constitution so this is this is a problem and yes they are absolute the second amendment is absolute in my view, everything from the Federal Firearms Act of 1934 forward is absolutely illegal. It is absolutely wrong. It's unconstitutional. Oh, but there's other good news. The House of Representatives is slowly slipping away from the Democrats. If you notice some of these disputed races and a few of these other things, the, the Democrats are just down to a couple of votes now. They're just down to a couple of votes in the majority. And that's, first of all, they're going to lose the House in 2022 unless something absolutely dynamic happens. And they're going to lose it to, I think, a conservative wave of Republicans. I mean, that's going to happen. So they better enjoy their, their slender, razor-thin majority now. But it is not going to happen that they are uh, in control for absolute control forever it, it is you know people have are starting to wake up and realize what a mistake it is to turn anything over to the democrats much less all three branches of government oh i already talked about mr pink ass but here's here's a little bit more that's we're never going to get anywhere compromising and that's what i think the people who have made these mistakes in the past whether it's Joaquin Jackson that 
NRA border control guy. He was a, he was kind of on the board of the NRA. NRA always had a love affair with the border patrol, you know, going back to Bill Jordan and Charles Askins and Harlan Carter. And Jackson was just kind of the last gasp of that. Um, so he, he made a mistake saying no civilian needs over five rounds because that's all you ever need to hunt with because, you know, those guys were... In many ways, they were they were either target shooters or fuds, and and they didn't didn't get they didn't get the rest of it. Just didn't get it. So he he said that. Um, who was the other one? Jim Zumbo said the was <laughs> used used the I was drunk when I wrote it defense that ARs had no place as a modern sporting rifle. Not only is that just stupid, it's just so it's just so wrong it's just absolutely wrong and he lost everything there i don't think there is any more jim zumbo outdoors and in fact they uh his name was zumbo the dumbo so there you go and pinkus is the guy who's in danger of falling down the crack people have basically said i've had it um there are too many first of all none of these guys speak for us and i don't care if it's the military arms channel or content creators on on youtube i don't care in range tv they don't speak for me they don't um they they're not the, the bottom line is they're not bright enough and they don't really have a position except as a kind of a a very very low-grade entertainer producing these these uh, youtube videos um they they're not they think they're influencers but they're not and nobody really wants to listen to them and frankly their analyses and their opinions just aren't that smart and you know i've, I've done it time and time again you see something on there and you, it's just appalling the lack of research the lack of general knowledge the lack of of really anything and as you saw with the uh, svd rifle stuff we talked about there's also a somewhat of a lack of uh you know some moral character and and kind of doing the right thing it's it's you know these people don't speak for us we have to speak for us and i think by and large it's it's no uh one of the one of the other things that um is disturbing that came out is <clears throat> obviously there's been another another shooting and another riot and it's the same old thing when morons learn not to resist arrest they're probably going to be okay you know resisting arrest is a bad thing and it's going to get you hurt and they they have not learned this lesson yet and so they keep paying for it uh with their lives one of the other things that uh that happens is unfortunately the capitol policeman who shot ashley bobbitt um and killed her basically shot an unarmed woman and murdered her um they've whitewashed it enough so that he's not going to face any charges or anything personally i think that guy is scum and he should be publicly tried um but that's the way that goes i mean there's good policing there's bad policing police are put in a very difficult position sometimes and uh you know that's just how that all works out so we'll see we'll see where this goes but yeah hey there's more riots there's more reason to own a gun there's more reason to be concerned about the safety of your home and your family 
All right, let's get to some good stuff. Uh, first of all, here's one of the promised updates on the percussion caps. I bought a kit from a place called um, Reloader22. And if you Google them on the net and you Google um, percussion cap maker, you know, that kind of stuff, you'll, you'll come up and they sell kits that um, allow you to make your own percussion caps out of soda cans and the little mixture of chemicals that they give you and you mix them up and you dab them in there and and uh, um, you know they have the, a tool which is a punch and it punches out a little cup from the uh, the aluminum from an aluminum can and you know hey you're in business uh, they're they're kind of labor intensive to make but at least you can make them uh, I just ran 24 rounds through a uh, 36 caliber cap and ball pistol and I couldn't be more pleased I just couldn't be more pleased. They um, all the chambers except one of the last ones fired, and that misfire was my fault. Uh, when I when I first did it, I my first test was six rounds through uh, the same pistol, and it used double FG black powder, and it worked. Uh, this next one I used triple FG, and it worked. And I think triple FG is, you know, because it's a finer grain, it's going to be easier to ignite. But I want to, I want to check that. I'm also going to, uh, in the future, check a few of the substitutes because they can be reputed to be harder to light. Although I think it's all really about the same. Uh, it was the same kind of deal, though. The, the pistol was really super cruddy. You know, back in the day, most people don't get cap and ball, uh, but back in the day nobody really relied on them for more than six shots and, and then they kind of realized that the the reloading process of that cylinder was was going to be pretty time consuming so they would either switch to another gun carry another pistol if they wanted more firepower or they would carry many much more than more than one pistol uh you know there's a reason that you had two dragoons or two colt walkers on the pommel holsters uh, on a saddle of a, of a cavalry mount because you know basically that gave you 12 shots um, confederate raiders were known to carry four to six pistols okay that wasn't just because they like carrying pistols around it's because you, you cannot reload a cap and ball pistol quickly the fiction that's come up is that the uh, remington pistols would you could you could quickly change out a cylinder and put in a capped and loaded cylinder in the place of the empty one and and go back to shooting that that is simply not true and we know that because there's no records in the civil war of of extra cylinders being supplied above those that were just replacement parts so we know that people didn't carry a cap cylinder around in a pouch that's all a modern you know that's all just a modern thing that nobody really did that so um you know to get 24 rounds out is is phenomenal you know phenomenal and uh, the fact that the pistol got cruddy and you know the it was the second to the last shot didn't go off uh, was not a problem um, I tried it with another one of the homemade caps and that didn't that didn't go either then I tried it with a uh, factory cap and that got it to ignite and as I stated before the caps that are made with this kit are not quite as powerful as the factory caps but 
hey, they're available. I don't know if you've tried to buy factory caps lately, but uh, if you can find them, which is a chore, they're going to run about 10 bucks a hundred. So they're running about 10 cents a piece. Um, if you make your own with this kit, you can get it down to pennies. I mean, you can get it down to a couple pennies a piece. You know, it just depends on how many you want to make and what kind of effort you're willing to put in it. But it is an alternative. And, uh, you know, between, and at least right now, you can still buy black powder substitutes or the original black powder. And the good part about all that is, is that you can, um, you can quite easily, um, cast your own bullets with them and uh you know you can you can <laughs> you're you're shooting if everything else is all used up um i think that i think the ammo shortage we're starting to see some signs that it's going that it's that it's starting to it's starting to clear up they're finally you know there are places that now do have a lot in are getting a lot in stock and of course it's it's selling out but at a certain point they'll be able to resaturate the market again and get it back on its on its even keel but you know until then it's really nice to have a way to to make some things yourself so you're not completely dependent on a supply chain and that's what this cap maker does so it's a uh, really really um it's one of the cooler things one of the cooler things i've done you know and you don't have to be a genius to use it you, you do have to follow the instructions and uh i'm very pleased with how it works it, it seems to seems to go on a related note um as i said in a couple podcasts ago i've gotten some access to some land um I've been going going there and you know kind of kind of kind of going by something that I haven't done in a long time which is you know carrying and using guns in a field environment as opposed to a range environment and um, you know there's not a lot of opportunity to do that unless you have access to land and uh, you kind of go out there and it's 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 different it number one it makes you realize the importance of a good holster good holsters is where it's at and uh sad to save with me there are a lot of guns i have that i don't have a really good holster for because hey um you know face it I, it goes to the range in a box it gets shot <laughs> it comes home in the box it gets cleaned you know or the you know the plastic pistol caddy things that, that we buy you know and uh and then it gets put back in the safe and locked up, you know, once after it's cleaned. So uh, it doesn't get carried around in a holster every day like a policeman would or like, you know, anyone who's, who's you know, carrying a firearm in the course of their day. So, you know, holsters are a big thing. And you don't have to spend a lot of money on holsters. You can, and money spent on holsters is usually a pretty good investment. But there are some other things out there. Uh, you can get uh, the old Bianchi M12 or UM84 holsters for automatics. You know, you can fit most auto pistols into one of those, and they they work very, very well. They're a good, durable design, and you can get those things used um, or, you know, kind of you kind of look around eBay or GunBroker. You can find those things, and uh, hey, it's not a, bad, not a bad option at all. Uh... <clears throat> I don't like cheap holsters, uh, especially if they're made out of nylon, 
because frankly nylon just you know it just doesn't last and uh, uh, I don't really want to be picking it picking up an expensive gun off the ground because I put it in you know the $10 holster from Walmart so uh, it's one of those things um, I think a great place to go to get a holster is El Paso Saddlery and you know a lot of you know just you, you kind of google the big names of holster makings Galco makes them makes great holsters El Paso Saddlery makes great holsters um, and there's all you know just there's more than I can name. There's more than I can name. Those guys have good, solid designs. And a lot of their designs are made for the classic old-school handguns that I, I particularly like. So um, that is definitely, definitely a way to go. But, yes, holsters are an important component. And uh, so if you're going to carry it around, you really have to look, what am I going to carry it in? Okay, another thing is, uh, you know, what kind of rifle really suits the, the outdoors? And I have never been a huge fan of a lot of hunting-type rifles. Um, depending on what I want to do, it, it always seems that they're a little too specific. So... Uh, carrying around a bolt action 308 is is great if you're hunting big game it, it's absolutely outstanding and if you see an occasional coyote or something you can you can put it down to or wild boar or anything you know they're, they're good guns I tend to like tap more tactical type guns so um, a shorter barrel I think I've got an 18 inch barrel FNFAL is a great gun AR-15s of whatever flavor you like are great rifles to carry around and whatever kind of optical equipment you need iron sights are still hard to beat but they are harder to use at long range there's there's no question about that you start getting at targets that are over 300 yards iron sights are 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 going to be difficult unless it's you know something unless you're shooting at an elephant or something um they're going to be a little bit harder to use and some military sites are better than others the ones on more modern military rifles say the m1 garand forward are, are about the best iron sights you're going to find on any any kind of uh, uh weapon much less um, a useful military weapon so they you know there's some really some excellent choices out there so i'm going to be experimenting with that a little bit i've already found that really a great rifle to have and i mentioned this before but it's the you know the old school sp1 style uh retro ar they call them now with the uh you know the the cheap barska or or whatever scope on it or if you want to go more dollars go to brownells and get their retro scope uh, those that's a great rifle to have it's a great rifle two to three hundred yards um, it's it's really great and you could probably do something beyond that I haven't tried that yet but I promise I will um, but when I really want to shoot beyond 300 yards I'm really thinking I probably want to go to 762 by 51 I'll see how that see how that shakes it'll be fun to see what the conclusions are between that and are there sporting rifles that are better and I'll tell you right now the lever actions are good out to 
people will get really angry when I say this, but you know, a good lever action is good out to about 100 yards. They're talking 30, 30, 32 Winchester Special. You start getting beyond 100 yards, and they get they get to be tough to use too. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But uh, it'll be a lot of fun to use a variety of different a variety of different guns in you know kind of a an an environment where you have maybe a 400 yard shot or you're down to a 25 yard shot because of the uh, vegetation definitely be definitely be interesting okay well that about that about takes care of it uh, uh don't really want to talk too much more about any of the things that are that are kind of out there the gun culture is kind of flat right now just kind of waiting to see what's what's going to happen and there's not a whole lot of new there's not a whole lot of anything although like in the last podcast i mentioned the the anaconda you know the colt anaconda's out there that's going to be great you know haven't i don't think anybody's seen one yet and all i can say is we're just i'm just praying that the die uh oh, two and a half inch barrel colt diamond back in stainless okay all right, we're going to go into questions and answers. And the first question is funny. Uh, do you have any idea why there are 410 gauge AR uppers? And I have to tell you, I, I do not. I do not have a good reason why those things are there. And I can only think of what I use a 410 for, would use a 410 for. And I had one as a kid. And I, I still have it somewhere. It's a single barrel. Uh, 410 has been it's been given this artificial lease on life in things like the judge the Taurus judge and the Smith and Wesson governor as kind of a defensive handgun round even though it's a shotgun round and you know for a while they uh, I think Mossberg tried to sell it as a home defense round for for like basically they were targeting women hey you're a suburban woman you don't know much about shooting well this gun doesn't kick very much and it's a magical shotgun so you can touch the magic here and and it will defend you so i can only assume that they're using those as either small game getters in places where you can't use uh rifles i, I would assume that would be the um, the the reason for that and the the other answer that I would have is maybe there's a home defense. Hey, this is a really super mean-looking rifle, but it's really just a 410 shotgun. That that'd be the only reason I can think of. Okay, next question: Why are you so critical of preppers? Okay, preppers. I'm I'm not super critical of them. I just think that you can never underestimate the cultural impact. Of our mass media and you can never underestimate the effect that television will have on and the influence television has on on people and what they buy and how they perceive the world and I see preppers as people who are investing a large percentage of their disposable income into things that they will probably never use so they can feel safe and that seems to be a little bit strange to me a little bit strange I've talked before about the continuum that I've seen with these guys they start from the 
kind of individual survivalist. I want to be the guy who can kind of think of the naked and afraid or the dual survival. I'm the guy who can build the fire. I'm the guy who can purify water. I know what's edible and what is not. I know all these things. And that's kind of the survivalist guy. They can they can lay snares and capture small animals and, and all these other things. And, and it goes from there to they decide that they're going to get their families into this self-reliant, off-the-grid lifestyle, which leads into then, well, if we're doing that, then we, but we got to have things. So we got to have you know, lots of food and lots of animals and lots of space and lots of all these things that we can grow and harvest and, and are not dependent upon the supply chain for. And then we need weapons to defend it. And then it goes from there into, well, I'm obviously not a doctor, not a dentist, not a car repair guy and all that. So we kind of need this group of people that's got a variety of specialized skills so that so that uh, as a community we can kind of live this this uh, uh, you know self-sustaining and absolutely self-reliant lifestyle so that's what's that's where they are and they're investing money to do that and at a certain point I realize some of these people are just saying hey they're using that as an excuse to buy guns and, and Hey, they don't need an excuse to buy guns. If you want it, buy it. Legal product, go ahead and buy it. Same thing with the rest. But I really kind of hate to see people just constructing their lives on scenarios that they see on television. And I do have a different perspective because I've been to places, namely Iraq and the Balkans. Not in that order. Actually, flip-flop. Well, you could kind of go... Desert Storm, Balkans, and Iraq. However you want to, however you want to, however you want to deal with those cards, where essentially civilization to some level does break down, and it doesn't look like Red Dawn. It doesn't look like the stuff we see on television. It doesn't look like Omega Man. It doesn't look like Doomsday Preppers. Okay, it it looks it looks very very different, and each situation is very very unique. So, you know, to try to anticipate how all that will look and then place this incredible amount of effort and, and uh, resources into it just seems to be, you know, pretty, um, pretty ridiculous in some ways. So, uh, but people are free and they have a right to do it, but that's why I don't believe in it. That's why I don't consider myself a prepper and that's why I don't, I don't, encourage people that that's uh, something to do okay can you please elaborate why the 762 nato 308 winchester is not a good long-range cartridge okay well i i, I kind of jokingly said well it's not a good the reason people don't think it's a good long-range cartridge is because it's not it was never designed as such it was designed to be a battle rifle cartridge which delivered what they considered to be the necessary power at the time in a more efficient cartridge which took advantage of newer powders uh, newer gunpowder technology and produce and therefore it could deliver a level performance that uh, in a smaller shorter cartridge case and therefore they could uh, design more efficient weapons for it you know the weapons would be a little lighter weight um, they wouldn't be as complicated they wouldn't have 
you know, just it, it would just be a simpler package to design a more compact weapon around. So that's what it was. The fact that it was a very good, what I would call now, and I think what what we would call now medium range cartridge, was was really a benefit. And and I mean, uh, it's it's really a benefit. And with the right bullet, the right powder, and all that, it's it's capable of very very good accuracy. And if you want to out to 600 meters I think that that's a great cartridge but in the last say 15 years the you know the explosion of PRS the 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 inclusion of all of these now tailor-made genetically engineered cartridges if you want to call them that for long-range shooting starting with stuff like the 6.5 uh, Creedmoor and now it, it goes in all kinds of things I, I actually think there are too many of them I don't <laughs> I, you know it always seems that there's something else popping out every month there's a now in the new hotness is what six millimeter arc you know um, so in order to in order to you know fully use all of this kind of capability you know the ranges the ranges people shoot at have been have just been exploding i mean it used to be that the gold standard was a thousand yards and that was kind of the limit and and anything beyond a thousand yards was was considered superhuman now a thousand yards is uh it's still very difficult believe me it's, it doesn't it's not easy but there are people who literally shoot it twice that now and they're using cartridges uh powder bullet combos and scopes and they now have computer aids ballistic apps and computer aids um they have doppler radar to give them their muzzle velocity so they can plug that fig figure into their uh calculations so they're they're shooting it twice at and beyond i mean who knows what the record is i know a couple of years ago the record was what 4500 or 5200 meters you know they're shooting at a target they cannot see except through their scopes and scope technology has just kept up you know bigger better you, you can now buy four thousand dollar rifle scopes put them on a ten thousand dollar rifle um it's 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 a big money rich man's sport they, believe me these guys don't don't walk around the range trying to police up brass afterwards i think you know they they are definitely high dollar guys and they're smart guys i mean you're you're talking about almost artillery type calculations um translating that into scopes and into a whole lot of things it is a um it is an absolute it is an absolute um you know exercise in science science and mathematics and uh, it is not cheap there's not a single portion of it that's cheap uh, I tried to cheat my way not not doing that but I had always wanted a very accurate kind of longer range kind of varmint rifle we what we used to call varmint rifle which was something that would shoot at four or five hundred yards and uh, basically I got a savage and I put an athlon scope on it and I put a Bell and Carlson stock and I got a wonderfully accurate rifle I mean I did it's got the AccuTrigger very very wonderfully accurate rifle um, you know and but it's it's a joke compared to what these guys show up with I mean it's certainly 6.5 Creedmoor I think 
starts to tap out at about 1200 yards if you have the skill to deliver it which which uh, I cannot guarantee with myself because simply just never tried it the the other big money aspect of this is um, finding a thousand yard rifle range was scarce uh, especially in some parts of the country it's impossible you go out west and you can you can shoot farther and, and I think that's where they're setting these records now but um, it's absolutely fantastic that we have this these people performing these feats of marksmanship and this was something that 30 years ago was just unheard of uh, people people 30 years ago were starting to just get into 50 cal and that was the holy grail cartridge now nobody shoots 50 caliber browning anymore i mean because it's not engineered for long-range precision shooting the way 338 Lapua, the way that uh, the Shytech cartridges and the 416 Barrett and some of these other... Yeah, I mean, there's there's more than I can name. Um, these cartridges and the rifles that, that fire them are just engineered for that long-range stuff. And you got, you have to enjoy math. You have to enjoy, you know, doing the calculations and doing the puzzles and all that to make all that happen and frankly um, I, I can tolerate that to a certain point but I would never I would never be an extended long-range guy um, I have friends who do I admire them but it's not me I'm more of a tactical guy I'm more of a hey let's get ball ammunition and if I shoot a scope it's it's got a uh, combat reticle in it and you know let's kind of go there and and Shooting four to five hundred yards seems to me to be a lot more doable, and frankly, a lot more enjoyable than uh, than doing these brain-numbing calculations that uh, that these guys definitely do. So that's where I'm, I've come down on that. Um, the extreme long-range stuff is great if you're out at the Whittington Center and you know Raton, New Mexico. Um, if you're me in Kansas, there are a couple places I could go, but but frankly, you know, shooting more than four or five hundred. And let me tell you something: you get out there, it's then it becomes a team sport. It's like you need a spotter. And one of the things we talk about is they they get the fantastic scopes and fantastic rifles. You also need a fantastic spotting scope. Uh, the Vortex one that I have is is a good scope, but it is nowhere near. You know, it's like like taking a Volkswagen Beetle to the Indy 500 when you're talking about some of the the stuff that uh, that these other guys have. So um, I do know a couple guys. I, yeah, the Zeiss, Zeiss, and a few of these other ones. I mean, you're you're talking a spotting scope could cost two thousand dollars, which is uh, let's see how much did I invest in my rifle? <laughs> like th three times the cost of of my rifle. <laughs> so there you go. Um, yeah, but you know, I think that to go for I I would feel very comfortable shooting at six hundred, and maybe I and I think I could do the calculations to reach out a bit beyond that. Maybe not to a thousand, but I could I could definitely do it um, if I tried, if I had some practice. Um, but I would definitely not be able to go beyond that. And, uh, you know, I, my hat's off to those guys cause they can do it. Um, but they're kind of the single, single purpose guys. They, that's what they do. I mean, that's what they do. 
and they're really good at it, but that's really all they do. So I, I kind of just say, well, you know, have a have a nice day. You know, that's that's great that you can do that, but have a nice day. I like to do a variety of shooting things. Um, I would be stronger if, if I were in a competition. It wouldn't be that I would win any particular one. It would be that I would place high enough in a bunch of them that I could that my aggregate would kind of put me over the top. And a guy who could actually do better than me is our friend of the podcast who not only can can do all these other kinds of great things too, but he can also shoot shotguns exceptionally well. So, um, you know, when you know how to shoot shotguns, like, I mean, if you take, if you took a group of shooters like they did, used to do on Top Shot and put them through, hey, you're going to shoot skeet today you're going to shoot trap tomorrow you're going to shoot sporting clays um in the afternoon and then you're going to shoot black powder revolvers then then uh muzzle loading rifles then military rifles then you know going all this with small bore target right i mean when you take somebody down that um uh, i want to be the guy who's the aggregate puts makes me competitive not so much that i'm winning any particular one thing so that's how i just kind of look at myself when when I see this, um, the pistol league that, uh, uh, my friend and I were just in was the same way. It's like, Hey, we don't, we're not the best, but this is only one aspect of what we do, not the only aspect. So that's, uh, that's kind of how that is. Okay. Next question is why don't you put out a bio and try to gain a following? <laughs> well, cause there's not that much interesting to follow, but like I've said before, and I think I've, I've kind of touched on this in previous podcasts of, you know, it's not about me. It's not about who I am. And, and in fact, I stopped listening to some shooting podcasts simply because, you know, the, the thing would be two hours long, but you spend the first 45 minutes introducing the panel members and they go over their resume and how much better they are than everybody else and how much more experience. Ah, da, 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 da. I, I kind of allude to some of mine, but, you know, it, it really isn't about what I've done it's about what I say and what I do and as far as trying to put name out there there are enough guys out there grubbing for attention there are enough guys out there you know selling their past their present their future to try to become some kind of content creator that's just not me I want people to listen to me because of what I say and not any of this other stuff and I'm not trying to promote a business or anything else here's an interesting question that came in why didn't Ruger design the Mini 14 to take the much cheaper and much more available AR-15 and M16 magazines? You know, on the surface, that's a really good question um, because those magazines are really out there. Um, you know, surplus, and every manufacturer seems to make one. There's all kinds of polymer ones now. There's P mags. There's you know ones that look like the U original USGI type mags. You know, Brownells even makes a waffle magazine. So. Why wouldn't you utilize existing magazine technology? That just seems to be a smart thing to do. And I think there are two reasons for that. Number one, they wanted the they wanted the Mini 14 to be somewhat reminiscent of the M14, which was a rock and lock mag. A rock and lock magazine, which the AR-15 magazine really cannot do. Um so it's it's uh you know you got to have the little tab on it and and the little 
thing so it can it can click in there um, there was a company and God I forget their name they made these cheapo plastic magazines kind of clear they actually made a magazine that would fit both um, but it and, and actually it worked a lot better than the mini 14 than some of the uh, you know aftermarket metal magazines did but it wasn't durable at all I mean if you dropped it it would break into pieces but um, if I can think of the name it's some company that's long defunct so I, I can't really pull it up so anyway um, but there was one company that did make an interchangeable magazine but the question here is why not design the mini to take the the uh, m16 magazine and I think another reason and a much more pragmatic marketing reason is you're then making an argument why not just buy an AR anyway why do you want a mini 14 it takes the same magazine it's going to operate in in somewhat similar manner therefore you might as well go for the AR um, that may not make sense to a lot of people but you know I think it made sense to Ruger that they're trying to make something reminiscent of the M14 which had a huge following you know the Garand system the the M14 came along the rock and lock magazine that had a big following a lot of people thought that that should actually have taken the place of the M16A1 which would have been a disaster but but beyond that beyond that it um, they wanted to make it its own unique and very reminiscent of the actual M14 and that's why the Mini 14 took what it did um, the one I never understood was why why would you design a different magazine catch for the AR 180 because that took essentially the same magazine it operated in essentially the same way it just had the, the hole located differently because it was accommodated slightly differently in the lower receiver I think that would have been a, a better path to to go down um, but anyway we we got what we got and you know the the end result of that is the reason it's not a bad question is because you know go buy a 20 or 30 round Ruger mini 14 magazine and you will give up some bucks and you could it's probably at least twice if not three times more expensive in some places so that is the deal with that all right let's look I'm sure I have more questions here oh did you see the CMP warning on 30-06 ammo they said do not fire ammo in your 1903 1903 a3 or m1 rifles that have larger than 172 grain bullet or more pressure than 50,000 copper units of pressure and yes I did see that and you know I'll say a couple things a lot of people were kind of poo-pooing that on the internet but the bottom line is the CMP is selling 75 to 100 year old rifles and so those rifles were not can they handle that kind of pressure increased pressure yes is it a good thing for them probably no <laughs> so I would say with those rifles the smartest thing you can do the absolute brightest smartest thing you can do is shoot ball ammunition or ball specification ammunition and and you know what in both of them um, you can go 150 grain you know ball ammunition and be good to go uh, there are match loads out there for the 30-06 out 
for the 168 and the 175 grain Sierra Match Kings. Uh, use those at your discretion. I think a lot of people use those without any problem with the Grand gas system. But you know, hey, your mileage may vary and you can never trust someone else's hand loading procedure. So I think it's sage advice, but it's very, very cautious advice because they're selling old rifles. They're selling, when they get them, you know, US 1917 rifles that uh, are 100 years old. You know, those things are over 100 years old now. I think they stopped making them in 19, 1919 or late 1918. So, hey, they're 102 years old. It, you know, it also goes to the fact that there are too many people, in my opinion, who are loading enhanced performance ammunition in different calibers. And frankly, I don't even know if 30-06 is one of them. I don't even think so. Um, but there were those extended range cartridges, whether they had increased pressure or whatever. Uh, something that's fine in your Ruger M77 or your Winchester Model 70 or Remington 700 may not be ideal for these other guns. It may not be ideal for them. So um, the other thing is if you shoot them in their military configuration, uh, the sights were kind of, although they're not strict and strictly accurate, the sights are definitely, you know, kind of calibrated for that ball ammunition. So, you know, that that's always kind of a nice thing, too. And at least those sights are fairly close to being on. Um, and the adjustments are pretty predictable with the, uh, the ball ammunition that they were designed for. So that's why I would basically go with that. And, uh, you know, this other stuff I just leave alone. There are enough horror stories out there of people you know hot loading something and it and it doesn't really worked out all right another question what have you learned about tactical rifles in a field environment so far i talked about that a little earlier um you know actually what i did was um i've decided to set up some brackets almost like a sporting thing and it's like the first bracket was ar-15 sp1 with the three power scope and it's not a legit colt scope from the 60s it's it's one of the knockoffs but it's functionally the same against the uh, ar-15a2 with an acog and just you know carry it around see which one you like better and fire them and see you know what the what the story is well i i did that and i did that two weekends in a row and here's what i discovered uh, that the a1 with the simple three power scope is simply a great little platform for a lot of field shooting. It probably does not shoot, I'm at, on a range, it, I guarantee it does not shoot as tight a group as the A2 with the ACOG, but it's a lot lighter, easier to carry around. Uh, you still get the good velocity from the 20 inch barrel. It's, it's, a, it's a good deal. And I'm shooting 55 grain loads. I'm not using different loads and different rifles. That would just make it a little, little more complex than it needs to be. But I've actually found that, uh, yes, that, uh, you know, the one I actually prefer due to its weight is the A1. And I don't find the scope all that wanting. Although I will tell you, the ACOG is about three or four times better of a scope. The clarity is better. The magnification is true. I don't know that those that those um, 
you know, early Colt style scopes. And you can get a, a pretty good knockoff from Brownells, but you can still get the Chinese knockoffs, you know, Barska or whatever. Um, I'm not sure those are true three power. Maybe they are, you know. I mean, there's no way for me to actually determine that. Um, but, you know, I will say that, uh, you know, I guess if you're going to high do a hybrid of the two you would uh, put the ACOG on the A1 and say hey this is the best of both worlds but the ACOG is a lot heavier you you pay a weight price for that that additional quality and capability and this is a rifle that's not really shooting bad guys or anything this is this is a rifle you take and maybe you see a coyote uh two or three hundred yards away uh, maybe you see you know something out there maybe you see a wild boar you know out there this is a this is a, a gun that you carry with you and use quickly so but at, at a little bit greater range than what iron sights would afford you so i'd say the uh yeah and this is all completely subjective completely subjective completely uh anecdotal completely everything so in my bracket for my personal taste the winner was the a1 and what i think i'll do now is put it put it up against an m4 style with um with some sort of an optical sight on it now that'll be pretty interesting and uh you know probably an eotech see which one see which one i like better see if the compactness of an m4 style rifle uh, gets me anything um, that would be that would be pretty interesting the the next one I think I will do after that is the uh, doing an AR-15 proto rifle like the one Brownells made that against a mini 14 and I, I the mini 14 is enhanced a little bit it, it had the funky it's it's a gun from the 80s but it still hasn't been shot much but it had the original goofy big fat front sight replaced with a much better one and a flash hider so it uh, you know it's it's a little more equivalent and uh, it'll be a little bit better uh, it'll be a, a better heads up comparison than if you left the fat sight on it and and all that and with with iron sights that's uh, that's going to be that's going to be a real challenge that's going to you know it'll be interesting to see putting a target out at two and three hundred yards and shooting from field positions how that's going to be um i'm gonna probably do the, then when i've when i finally figure out what the ultimate 556 rifle is i'll probably i might do the same thing with 762 rifles um i can get my hands on enough of those to to make that as a different to you know to get a few different models and try that i assume that i assume that the ultimate winner will be something with a 20 inch barrel to get the or, or close to it to get the the um, ballistics I kind of assume that it will also have some sort of a low power or no power optical sight so when you gotta get that throw an HK clone in there you know see see how that does that might be a real winner too because it's got basically a lightweight scope with it so uh, you know those those would be interesting to kind of try those out and then you know put whatever rifle kind of comes out as the you know the one that's really the most convenient to use i'll put that against a uh, a benchmark um you know remington 700 bolt action with a with a loophole scope and you know we'll see where we'll see where we go we'll see where that where that winds up 
this is just for fun nothing exciting and, and in fact I'm actually gonna have to take about a month off of doing this uh, for some for some personal stuff so uh, I will tell you how it goes and I'm also gonna do the same thing with handguns um, I've kind of already figured out that things I've talked about on the podcast before that I've, I've basically verified my earlier uh, prejudice if you will but my earlier findings that really a good revolver is the best field gun to use um, as much as I like 1911s and like nine, nine like nine millimeters um, I'm really thinking that the the big fat slow chunk of lead um, is a good thing like that that t-shirt that they sell you know um, I, I'm paraphrasing it from memory, but shows a 45 ACP, and it sometimes says, you know, sometimes fat and slow is a good thing. So, um, you know, something with that kind of that kind of ballistics is really kind of coming out. And there, there are a couple, there are a lot of good ones. There's 3840, a 40, which is a 40 caliber. There's, um, you know, a lot of a lot of different things out there. You can throw 357 in. That would probably take longer, but I I have a funny feeling that the revolvers will be ascendant because I believe, at least for me, I can probably shoot revolvers at long at longer range more accurately. So we'll see. We'll have fun and we'll see. And while I was on, of course, uh, just, just talking, the uh, results of this Chauvin trial in Minneapolis have come in and I just got a text. I actually uh, turned off the recording so I could read the text. And it's actually a question that I can throw in here, so I'll do that. Basically, it says, with the results of the Chauvin trial in, do you think there's going to be more rioting or is this going to, are people going to be satisfied with this or, you know, how do you think this is going to play out? And, and the answer is, I don't know. I would tell everybody, you know, kind of give them the old thing from Hill Street Blues, you know, be careful out there. Uh, you never know who is, who's been, um, really emotionally distressed or agitated by something like this no matter how it turns out and it's turned out all guilty so that that kind of leads me to believe there may not be the wide-scale riots that everybody was fearing but you just don't know um you know it kind of goes to a little bit larger picture and i don't want to talk over everything or, or justify every comment i'm making but uh, because it would just take too long, but we're watching the fabric of the nation unravel. The the fabric, the structures of society are breaking down. And what we're seeing are public, public people are influencing the judicial system and they're damaging it. They're damaging it. They're trying to influence juries with threats of rioting and violence. And it's not going to stop. It isn't, it just doesn't stop over this, over this trial. We see basically uh, a lot of civil disorder. I mean, there's, I mean, I think, right. I think Portland has been rioting for the last year. They're, they're not reporting it every day, but I think these things are turning into riots every year. Courthouses are getting broken into. They, you see a murder on Capitol Hill where, yes, the Ashley Bobbitt was probably wrong trying to climb. She was climbing around some broken window, and I think they thought she was trying to gain entry. 
She's had SWAT officers standing basically behind her who could have restrained her but chose not to do so. And then some guy whose name they won't release and who they've, quote, investigated, quote, unquote, came out and shot this woman in the face. And, you know, I understand all kinds of tensions were high and everything else, but we're seeing the fabric of the country come unraveled and we're seeing the judicial system is paying the price the due process all of this is paying a, a serious price so you know the court of public opinion the kangaroo court of public opinion is pronouncing people innocent or guilty or whatever else before they even get into a courtroom and get a trial and this is extremely dangerous this is extremely dangerous if you do not have the rule of law and you do not have a court system and granted the court system is imperfect but it's it's pretty good it's not perfect but pretty good uh, we have real danger to the country I mean this is this is seriously dangerous another thing that's seriously dangerous is we have an education problem which has fueled this which is we are not teaching people civics so they don't understand how government works they don't get it. They don't understand the three branches of government, what each one is supposed to do. They don't understand basically when a crime is committed, the investigation process, the charging process, the trial process, and all the, you know, that whole process that I, I can't articulate here because I just don't have time. But they don't understand that. I bet, I bet eight out of 10 Americans wouldn't have any idea what a grand jury is or does. I guarantee it, because we don't teach it in schools anymore. We don't teach it, so they don't know how it works, so they, of course, think they can influence it. There are going to be people who don't understand why there is not a sentence pronounced today in the Chauvin trial the same day they, they, they come out with a verdict. There will be people who don't understand that. And... Uh, all I can say is it's the fabric of the country coming apart and people who are pouring gasoline on this fire are the mainstream news media and you see the drumbeat has already started if somebody looks at a firearm wrong it's getting reported on the news and I'm not trying to dismiss these things but yes somebody was shot in a grocery store one person was killed and the guy ran away uh, they later caught him that's national news now as as part of this drumbeat of gun violence every shooting now not just the mass shootings that they that they essentially uh go 24 7 on but it's every gun crime now we're a country of 300 million people and bad things happen everywhere bad things just pull up that website that shows you the crime in your own town or your own neighborhood. Bad things happen everywhere. That's just part of the human condition. And uh, But what they're doing is they're building a drumbeat for gun control. That's what this is. And how do I know this? Well, I've lived through it before. This is the kind of stuff that happened before the 94 gun ban. And they are building this drumbeat. And what they're going to do then is they'll get a few weak lawmakers who will, you know, yeah, the big Republicans, they're, you know, they're going to have to stand fast and united, but they'll get a few, maybe a Mitt Romney, maybe, uh, uh, you know, Susan Collins or some of these other people who say, man, if I, if I vote against this 
gun bill, I won't get reelected because they all do what's in their good interest, what's in their personal interest. They don't really care about your or my civil rights. They don't care. As long as they get reelected and the, the money the money trough is still full for them, they're they're gonna do that. So, you know, now is the time to put a full court press on all these guys. It's amazing how wishy-washy some of them can be. I'll just take a, a, an example from Kansas. Uh, uh, Jerry Moran. Moran, I get Jerry Moran, the senator. I call him Jerry Moron. That's why I, I mispronounce it. When Trump declared a national emergency on the border so he could get resources down there to, you know, build a wall, build up ice in the border patrol, and get control of the situation... Jerry Moran went against that. He voted against that. As a Republican senator, he voted against that. As a now, he's he's jump because now Biden's in charge. He's now jumping on this as the border crisis, and this is huge, and this is big. Well, where was he? Like two and a half years ago, when when he when he was when he needed to stand up on this issue. And it wasn't just this partisan rancor that uh, that he's that he's participating in now. So, you know, we got to watch. Some of the people who say they're our friends are not necessarily our friends, and they're out for themselves. And uh, so that's that's basically how I see a lot of that. Here is the uh, follow-up question to the one I just answered. It just came over my text, also. Uh, it basically says, look, if there's going to be some unrest generated by this trial or other trials, what should we be doing to uh, to try to mitigate some of the risk, to try to mitigate some of that? Now, the easy answer would be arm yourself to the teeth and, you know, build barricades and all that. But face it, that's that's not going to probably address the real problem. What I would do is take some clues from the preppers. And the clues I would take would be, they would be this, uh, you know, talk, get out and talk to your neighbors and basically say, you know, I don't think anything would ever happen. But if it did, we should have some sort of a plan how we're going to react to this. And it isn't, we're going to grab guns and we're going to kill them. And it's going to be the sands of Iwo Jima. And they're the, they're the Japs and we're the Marines and, and all of this. It's not, it's, that's not the way to talk to them. The way to talk to them is, hey, we're interested in security, and of course, keeping an eye on my place, keeping an eye, keeping eyes on each other's places, uh, kind of paying attention to the local news to see if anything's brewing, uh, and also I would, I would, uh, uh, you know, have a little bit of food and water, you know, especially that just seems to be prudent at this point. Follow the FEMA, you know, FEMA guidelines: three days of food, three days of water, type of deal. I'd also get some of those little, off Amazon, some of those little bale fang radios. Because everybody can afford a $25 radio. You get them, um, you put them all on the same same frequency. And if the cell phones aren't working, you know, you could have a cell phone tree also. But these, these would be really good backups to the cell phones of, hey, the cell phones are out. Or your landline is now out. Or the power is off. But I've got this little radio that I can use for a few hours while things are happening and it'll be kind of connected into your neighbors so you know if you all do need to go 
you know, put out a fire somewhere, put out or, or uh, you know, take some other kind of action, including, hey, they're breaking into my house. I'm trying to get out. Come help me. You know, th these kind of things. You can you can actually have some communications and do it. And you've got to practice with a little bit of this stuff first. And it's, of course, the 11th hour. But, you know, those are those are all good things. Those are kind of tips from the the preppers. Now, most of the preppers are out in the wild somewhere where this stuff is never going to happen. But if you're in a town or you're in a city, you know, these things could could be something that uh, you would find particularly useful. So I would actually just kind of go with those and, and uh, hope that uh, that plus the other preparations you have and, you know, for your own personal self-defense, uh, weapons, sprays, all that kind of stuff you know, firearms, all that kind of good stuff, you know, you, you should be able to handle, you know, at least some sort of problem if it comes up. So, scary times. Uh, I've never seen the country like this, and I lived through 1968, so that ought to tell you something. We, we basically have some very, very bad very, very bad actors who are in positions of power we also have some very, very bad people who say inflammatory things on the news that they never should say. And you got to talk about that Chris Cuomo talking about, well, you know, if it were white kids getting killed in the suburbs, like no other kind of people live in the suburbs. Um, you know, it's, it's giving people a license or giving them ideas to do something very bad. And they want to bring this war to the suburbs. They want to. They see it as a war, and they want to bring it to the suburbs. And um, this is very dangerous. This is a terrible time for our country. Terrible time. And so you know, unite up with your neighbors and just realize that uh, you know things could get a little worse before they get better. But the more you prepare for the unexpected, the better off you'll be. Well. On that note, that is it for this episode, the 99th episode of Old School Guns, uh, the podcast that really does tell you like it is and will answer all of your questions. I will answer your questions. So send them to me at kbmakel at aol.com. Send them there and I will answer them or you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean and uh, I will answer them the next podcast. As a matter of fact, I usually put them up front. So uh, send me anything you have and I'll be happy to answer it to the best of my ability and give you my best advice. Doesn't mean it's perfect, but hey, you know, it could be, could be helpful, could be helpful. But that's it for Old School Guns. So this is Old School Guns, out. <laughs>